Hello and welcome back to the Pressure Room Podcast, supported by Ride WA. I'm your host Jethro and this is episode two. So for episode two, I thought we'd kick off with a bit of Australian cycling royalty and we are chatting today with Brenton Jones. Brenton Jones, for those who don't know, was the 2019 Australian National Criterium Champion. The man is a beast on a creek track. And uh, not only that, he's actually a bit of a journeyman in terms of where he's raced and the teams that he's been a part of. It's a really interesting story. He's raced over in the UK when that scene was popping off. Uh, he's raced over in Europe for Delco KTM, a pro-continental team, um, a very good pro-conti team, being one of the French nations. And uh, look, he's raced some of the biggest races on the planet. And uh, yeah, we chat all things cycling, his career, where he, you know, how he sort of came through the sport, uh, getting his first contract, his first pro contract, uh, racing, you know, races like Paris Nice, uh, Paris Bay. We actually talked about Paris Bay two nights before this year's epic event, and um, lots of other stuff. He gives some great insight, and uh, he's still a monster, and he's targeting uh, the the crit title this year back in Oz. So uh, I hope everyone finds this. Uh, episode really interesting and um yeah thanks for listening let's get stuck in this is the press room podcast episode two brenton jones let's do it i'm sitting here with brenton jones uh the 2019 australian criterium champion yeah i guess we're going to be talking about lots of different things a part of his career where he's been who he's raced for different races that he's been a part of and then also what he, what he's up to now, and um, yeah, lots of bits and pieces about cycling and uh, his racing. So Brenton, mate, thanks so much for coming on on a Friday night. <laughs> no worries at all. Thanks for having me, Jethro. And uh, yeah, looking forward to chatting and reliving some of the highlights and and maybe some of the lowlights of the career so far. So uh, yeah, it's going to be a going to be a good interview. Sweet <laughs> glory days, mate. That's what I call it. That's right. Um, so uh, just I guess. Over east in Melbourne and, and, and the eastern side of Australia, you'd definitely be, I suppose, a lot more well-known in your profile there as opposed to WA in this cave that we live in here, this beautiful cave. Um, <laughs> so maybe could you fill in, fill us in here um, with WA crew, just a brief history, I suppose, of maybe your the teams that you've ridden for and maybe some of the races uh, that you've um, raced in. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I guess started out as a mountain biker, actually. So some of you may have known that and, and some maybe not. Um, started on the mountain bike scene and represented Australia in the World Championships in Canberra in 2009 and did a few World Cups in that year as well and was part of the talk nutrition team that was quite big back in the day and had the likes of Dan McConnell, Jack Haig, Robbie Hucker come through there. So it was quite a quite a very productive and developmental team that has gone on to see some riders do some great things. Um, I started there, got noticed, I guess, by um, a close friend of mine who was from Warrigal base, Joel Pearson, uh, ex Warnable winner. He, he was a, a close friend back in the day uh, when we were racing together and he was quite interested in, in seeing me progress to the NRS. So we had a chat and we got talking to Andrew Christie Johnson, who offered me a contract back in 2000 and, 12 um which is where it was and i'm probably forgetting as well my a big crash in 2011 i had an nrs up in toowoomba where i was in a induced coma as well so that's probably what a lot of people will remember me for um i think back in that time frame that's kind of a lot of um the history and people always remember yeah brenton jones's bad crash in toowoomba so that was my first ever national road series race uh, up in toowoomba in 2011 
I recovered from that, um, took six to eight months to recover from that and bounced back and then represented um, a, a smaller Victorian-based team, uh, composite team in uh, the Tour of Toowoomba in 2012, where I got my first NRS podium um, exactly 12 months on and exactly the same stage I crashed in the year before. So that was kind of a, a massive turning point, a highlight for me, um, kind of someone who thrives off motivation and, and determination. So for me to train up to that point and get that was amazing and kind of inspired me to do bigger and better things after that. Uh, so I guess, yeah, from, from then having a few results in the, the NRS series, that's when I signed with Genesis that next year and rode with Andrew and the guys and Pat Shaw and Giacoppo and Steel Von Hoff and Nathan Haas. Those kind of crew were just kind of departing the team when I was there and was there racing with Joel Pearson. As I said, my, my mate back then did a few bay crits with Joel and, and NRS races around and we were quite successful with the number one team in the NRS. I think my first two races with the team in, uh, in the tour of the Great South Coast, I'll never forget it. I won the first two stages. Um, and then got got demoted to lead out man to to lead out uh, AJ in the the next few stages. So I think I was I was I was too good to start off with. I wasn't being I wasn't being as much as a team player as what I should have maybe. But I was just yeah. going full gas to the line. So um, that was that story. But uh, yeah, we progressed from there, I guess, and and got noticed um, by Draypack and Michael uh, and the guys at Draypack, and um, went from there to. Progressed uh, with Draypack overseas uh, for two seasons. I think that was 2015, 2016. Had some great European experience with them, racing through Norway, Arctic race in Norway. Um, you know, your Belgium classics, French races. We ride London, you know, so fantastic opportunities that Michael and the team pro provided me back then. He was at the start of my career and ever grateful for Michael Draypack and the family for and the team for what they, they did for me in that developmental years I had um, living in Belgium and with the likes of Tom Scully and um, these guys that are still racing the world tour over there right now, Will Clark as well, just retired. So, uh, you know, that was Salzburger. That was all the guys, Grant Brown as well was very influential in, in my, uh, in my development as well. In the second year when Brownie came in and was my lead out man in a number of races and we did get a few wins together. So it was fantastic and had an absolute ball with Brownie. Um, and then from Draypack, uh, didn't get a contract the next year in a, in a pro level team. So had an opportunity from John Herity in JLT in the UK took that up up uh late late in november uh was quite stressing uh, stressful and a um, off-season holiday with my uh, girlfriend now wife lucy up in queensland in noosa um i hadn't had a contract and i was having sleepless nights then finally got the call from john and kind of just had a massive sigh of relief um and focus and work really really hard in the in the off-season the pre-season for john in jlt um, where I came out swinging in the in the national champs and the Bay Crits, I think doing quite well on the podiums in, in both races in the Bay Crits and Nationals that year mm -hmm. in 2017. Um, and then went to the Sun Tour with them as well and was second in the prologue, I think, to Danny Van Poppel. Oh, yeah. So I think it was a very, very good start in the with the team that year. Um, we then went to the Tour of Taiwan straight away, I think, and I got a stage win on the last stage there. So it, it just started the, a, a successful season for me in 2017 and still to this date has been my very, my most successful season. Um, and then from Taiwan, we, we flew straight to the UK. I was based there for probably seven months. Um, my girlfriend, Lucy, she was over there at the time with me. She came over. We had a fun little six, seven-month holiday and and kind of working holiday in the UK. It was fantastic. Um, and obviously, there I was, I was there to win races and perform, and I did that. I think I won 10, 10 races that year, maybe 11. Yeah. Um, and I think seven was on the British scene, and I think I won two or three uh, UCI races um, across Asia mainly. But um but yeah, the, the, the scene in the UK was quite successful that year, winning many, many races um, across the tour series and 
a highlight being uh, the Tour of Britain, where I think out of the eight stages, I was in the top um, yeah. the top ten six times. Uh, one podium behind Caleb and and, and Grunewagen, and uh, that was probably still to this day my most successful tour. It was good that uh, that year, and having a guy like Russ Downing as well to to mentor and support me and lead out as well was was amazing. Russ is um, well known on the British scene, and um, you know, ridden World Tour and been British champ before, and that was fantastic for me to to ride and learn from him. Um, I think that year really set up my my contract for signing with Team Delco, a French team, where I was uh, based for the next two years, really living in France and racing Paris-Roubaix on two occasions in, in 2018, 2019, which was my dream as a, as a kid. So to, to start being on the start line of Roubaix twice is amazing. And, yeah. and um, I think that's what kids dream of these days as well. So uh, that was awesome. Uh, Paris-Nice as well. Uh, a few big um, European races there too. Didn't quite maybe get the, the victories or the uh, as many podiums as probably um, people would expect or, or maybe uh, were hoping in the team and, and others and even myself. But I think, you know, there's some some really nice results there, even, you know, a few four, five and six places in some of these big races that, you know, go unheard of. But, you know, we're just behind the likes of Bahani and Cockard and, yeah. you know, a fourth place in the Rumdum Colm in Germany was ahead of Kittle. And like these people, like they, they were really good results. I was just very unlucky, I guess, not to, to get that next step. Yeah. Um, and then from there, yeah, signed with, with, with Canyon and was based there trying to, trying to see what we could do for the 2020 season, which, um, Finished well in uh, in the uh, race in Holland, which is gone a mental blank for me at the moment. But um, that was the, a second place finish there, and uh, that was the last race I've done in Europe until this date. So yeah. um, that was uh, it. Just happened actually. The race was just on two weeks ago um, in Belgium. It was a one point two. Who 1.2 in Holland. Philipson won. 1.2 in Holland. David Decker. David Decker was the winner. Um, the Yumbo kid. Like when the year I won it. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. It's forgotten. We'll find um, it. We'll find it. It's hard. Everyone's focusing yeah. on the world. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really good um, recap. And that's just, just like ching through my whole list. When you yeah. see uh, Genesis back in the, in the early days, is Genesis Bridge Lane now? Or what yes. Yeah, okay, that's cool. Yeah, I think I knew that. We're not. Oh, really team. So I think it was Genesis. The first year was Genesis. Then it was Hugh and Salmon Genesis. And then it was Avanti. So I've gone through those three teams. I've gone through Genesis, Hugh and Salmon, Genesis, Avanti. And then the year I left, they were still Avanti the next year. And then I think they went to um, Ice yeah, that kind of the bridge line and Ice Away. They went to Ice Away. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's uh, so, yeah, that's um, awesome. I, I didn't know that you were a mountain biker. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, still am. Still am. <laughs> still am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. and you went to the Worlds as well. What? Where was the Worlds that you went to? Actually, in Canberra that year in Australia. So we're very lucky to have a home, yeah. home, home world championships that year. That was amazing. I had a lot of family and friends there to come and watch, which is incredible. And yeah. done a lot of racing over the years in Stromlo. So I kind of to have that home Worlds was awesome. Um, yeah. But also to kind of have. Uh, I was cycling or back then cycling Australia give us the opportunity to go overseas and race some world cups that year because it was yeah. in Australia was I think a very good um, learning curve and experience and still one of my favorite highlights of my career anyway so um, that why was, cool did, um, was the reason why that cycling Australia at the time flew you guys over to the world cups was that so you guys could maybe get a chance at getting a better starting position on the grid with the points that too yeah exactly that too so definitely to try and make our points um a bit more well established and kind of 
gather a few more points for sure. But I think it was also a combination of that European experience that was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I guess a, a a big step up from what we were doing. You know, the team we went over there were was the team that was getting, you know, your podium to top five positions in every national round. And then over there, we're kind of split up and there's guys getting just inside the top top 20 or, you know, a good result for a couple of the boys, I think was like an eighth and maybe a 13th and a 16th. And Mm. I was mainly around the forties and the fifties and the sixties, but you know, for some of these world cups nowadays, that's a good result. So that's kind of where I was sitting over there, Uh, but never really able to break that, that top 40 mark, just a bit too heavy as well back then. And and kind of more of that sprinter build, whereas now they're all mountain goats and skinny. So uh, it wasn't the the correct uh, discipline, I guess, to me, but I still had fun as a junior coming through that path. Yeah, yeah. Mountain biking is so good for um uh, for anyone coming up in the sport. And now there just sure. be much more of a crossover between all the disciplines now. It's, it's the lines are a lot yep. more blurred than what they used to be, I suppose. Definitely, definitely. Mm. So uh, to go to the JLT Condor uh racing, so when you were racing in in, in the UK. I mean, I, I used to follow it quite a bit because when you're in that team, I think that was probably, at least from what I could see on the outside, maybe the tail end of the, the last two best years that the UK scene had um, yeah. in terms of how much racing they had. Um, so, like, what is the, how is the UK racing, like, scene structured when you were over there? Like, how does it work? Is there, like, a crit series, like a road series, or how does it work? Yeah, exactly, exactly that. You hit the nail on the head. I think it was, uh, yeah, they had a separate crit, crit series. So they had, I think, 10, a 10 series event uh, in, for the crits and then maybe a, also a 10 crits, uh, 10 road uh, series uh, event for, for the road stuff. So it was very separate in, in terms of you had your road series, your criterium series and the tour series. So it was very separate. There was a lot of different things going on. So you had the tour series, which that year in 2017 was, as you mentioned, the, probably the second last year that it was very big, I guess. And there's the whole... Um, scene in the UK was, uh, I guess, established as it was. Now it's very, very much depleted, but it was 10, 10 tour series rounds that year. Um, about maybe not, maybe not 10 crit series, but maybe eight crit series uh, rounds and, and then eight, nine road series rounds. So there how was the crits? Uh, one hour crits. Okay. Um, yeah. So one hour crits for both the circuit series and then the tour series. So there's two things. So it was circuit series, tour series, and the road series. And they're all different things. So obviously the first road race, I think I went there, I actually won. I still won Hoff was second. Oh. That was the GP, GP something. I can't remember what it was, but it was GP. I can't remember. GP something. So all the road yeah. races had you know, your, your big name and they were well-established races that have been around for years. And um, there was one cobbled one there. I can't remember what it was called as well. That's a very famous one as well. Oh. Um, that Bibby's one and Russ- Lincoln, yeah, Lincoln GP, and yes, there's a few yes. of these races that are that are iconic, you know. So to go there and race that whole calendar was incredible. I think, um, and I think I won maybe yeah two two of the road ones and a couple of the crits and two 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 series races as well. So kind of had a bit of a broad um, uh, results sheet across the across the series, but the racing was incredible. Great, great depth of riders and and, and races. I think that year we had. Um, Enrique Sanz and Sebastian Mora, who are both world tour riders now racing uh, from Spain. Yeah. Um, had a few Auss- Aussies, obviously, as well. Steel was there, myself, uh, maybe one other. And then a couple of, maybe one Kiwi at the time. Tom Scully had done it before as well, but he wasn't there that year. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys, both Australian and New Zealand riders that have raced that 
the tour series and the, the UK scene and and done quite well in the past. Um, but yeah, that year there was a lot of international riders in in these teams because they do pay. They had paid quite well. Um, yeah, yeah. The, some of the British guys that were in that team and in that series, Ian Bibby and these guys are incredibly talented riders. They didn't want to venture away from the UK and and go somewhere else because they were getting paid just as well as any other pro in Europe um, to stay yeah. at home and race some cool races. So that was a scene back then. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. I think um, that was like the early days of when uh, of like Taro Gagenhardt. I remember he was racing that as a just a young kid, really. Um, yeah, in that maybe the Wigan squad or you know, or one of those teams. Yeah, yeah. Did you race any of those with with the Rafa Nocturnes a part of that? Were they separate? Yes. No, they were. So yeah, I won. I won the London Nocturne. So the Rafa London Nocturne. That was actually I forgot about that win. So that was a that was actually, yeah, one of my probably, yeah, best memories in terms of victories. That was an incredible, absolutely incredible experience. It just, yeah. I'm just smiling about it now, just thinking yeah. about it. It was, uh, you know, an eight or nine o'clock start time or something like that. And it was pitch black and the streets were filled with Londoners and all sinking pints and um, music and DJs and just an incredible street circuit with like maybe six corners in a 1.5K circuit and, there was crashes and there was like um, a few track riders there and single speed guys there like at the Alec, Alec Brig or whatever his name is. There's a few oh, guys yeah. racing that. They're all trying to get in there. I think Walter Whippet was there, Will Clark. Yeah. Um, so they had a few pro guys that turned up as well. Um, and uh, yeah, we I just had the most incredible night, had the best legs. The team obviously was sensational with your Graham Briggs and Russ Downing, John Moulds. You know, these guys are. One of the best riders in the UK scene that in the history. Um, and um, they were sensational. I think Christopher Lawless was there as well, racing for Wiggins at the time. Yeah. Uh, he was second, I think, on the night, and Briggs was third. And yeah, just had an incredible run all night and just went everything to plan and uh, and had a nice victory there, which was which is awesome. So that was that was awesome fun the nocturne. We went yeah. to went to Copenhagen as well, and Graham Briggs won that as well. I was second and we uh, we just sweep the sweep the field there too. You know, um, I was funny. I actually had a dream last night and it was so vivid, man. Like <laughs> I, I woke up in the morning and I dreamt we were doing this podcast and I was like, yeah, it was, cool. it was going pretty well. And I was dreaming about asking you about the Rafa Nocturnes because I would see the stuff on Twitter and that sort of stuff. Jeez, man. I mean, we had some cool races here in Perth, but nothing yeah. like a night crit with four deep oh. in, in, the, in the barriers of people, you know. And yeah. I was interviewing you about that or asking you about the nocturne. And in the morning on my phone, I had a, a, a LinkedIn message from the CEO of Nocturne. And no yeah, out of nowhere. I don't know. I don't know how I know him, but he was saying congrats on this job that I got. And I was like, <laughs> oh, mate, I just, I told him, I was just dreaming about this. And I said, oh, he goes, oh, he reckons that um, he told me that the nocturne is um, on its way back, apparently. Ooh. So that'd be pretty Ooh. cool. If it comes That'd back, cool. we need, I think we need a we need a nocturne Melbourne. I think maybe I need to be the one of the main uh, main guys to try and get that happening. I think and and try and use my connections with the with a with a mother who's in a events well known events uh, company anyway. So I think yeah, maybe yeah. Uh, maybe Karen can get around that and and have, make this make this happen. I think it'd be awesome to see a nocturne back in Australia. Melbourne would be yeah, that would be a cool town to do it for sure. But, um, yeah, that's awesome. And I guess uh, like. Is the racing in the UK in like say for example the well let's compare like criterium say in the NRS um, 
would it, how do we, how does the criterion in the NRS differ from maybe one of, as a part of that uh, UK series? Donna, I'll just say they're, they're more experienced over there. Like the depth is is greater. I think here we've got some talented riders for sure, but you know, you put your top 10 or top 15 in, in Australia here over there, it's their top 50. You know what I mean? So I think the depth there across their teams, they're very well experienced. They know how to race. That's what they do year in, year out. Whereas the, uh, the NRS may be here. There's some races with creates and some races that don't have creates. Whereas over there, they've got their set that like the tour series was, I guess, and still was this year as well, happening every year for however many years it's been going for. So I think they're conditioned over there that, you know, they have their time trial circuits that they do the 10 mile time trial and whatever they do. And they've got their criterium stuff. And I've done a couple of 10 mile time trials. So they're good fun. But um, yeah, that, that old criterium scene is, is what they live and breathe. You know, it's like a Belgium Kermis. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. Uh, definitely, I'll have to post some stuff so people can uh, check out how good that scene was. And it is bouncing back, um, yeah. but some of the pictures from those nocturnes, the Tour Series, and like that that Lincoln Grand Prix. Um, I think the last person to win it was Alex Richardson. Um, maybe he yeah. won the last one that was there. That's what I'm thinking in my head. But, yeah, um, yeah I'll post some stuff in, in the little link so people can check it out, what it was like, and hopefully what it returned to. Um, yeah. But... Um, Let's talk about the National Criterion title uh, now, yeah. which would be cool to see. Um, you had uh, you won it in 2019, but you had so many like close calls. So too many, yeah, too many. It was definitely a long way to win. I think there was a lot of emotions that night, and uh, yeah, just years and years of hard work and training to try and get that victory. I think as a as an Aussie sprinter and um you know i think that that's one that you try and dream of um and you look at the past winners now you've got you know your caleb you still one half your sam wellsford and your cat and groves like you know if you add in these guys in the last decade like we, we've all been the top sprinters in the, of the time so i think everyone's won one at least once uh the criterium obviously caleb a couple times i think and still two or three himself so you know uh, it's a it's a hard it's a hard fought um uh, title to win i think it's not something that um, should be seen as, oh, it's just a crit title or whatever. I think it's a very hard, hard race to win. And I think Cam Meyer's done a solo victory around there before too. So I think, or maybe it was Trav, but um, yeah, I think yeah. Yeah, it's a very, very, very hard race to win. And uh, I think it's it's becoming um, a popular target for many sprinters and many riders in Australia to win. So yeah. I think um, just amazing to have won that. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a very good point. I guess the margins in a criterium are much smaller than in a road race or a time trial, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. It only takes a little bit. You only have to get one corner wrong in the final yeah. few laps, maybe in the final five laps, and like yeah. the whole race can be toast. Exactly. You could um, be sitting beauty, beautiful position all race and the last lap get dive-bombed and find yourself 10th in the last corner and you might just make yeah. a podium. So I think, yeah. Um, yeah, it all comes down to that last corner. Of all the years that you did it, you obviously got close and were on the podium a, new, a number of times. Were any of those years, were you thinking that, um, like, did you feel better than the year you actually won? Does that make sense? Uh, I think definitely, definitely there. Oh, actually, like, I think in terms of, like, comparing the sprint, I think this year, this year's sprint when I won the bunch sprint for fifth and, and had a, a bit of a gap there as well to the rest of the guys, I think that was as close as I could get to being as strong in that finishing straight as I was the year I won it. I think, um, so that's what kind of hurt me the most this year is to see those guys slip up the road and kind of maybe not have the teammates to bring it back. Um, 
was kind of the gamble I was playing. And I knew I could have maybe attacked after the race in hindsight to kind of get across to Caden and the guys and Luke. And they were obviously motoring. And uh, I think Sam tried and it was kind of me and him working on the front together as individuals for a while until um, a few other people came through. And then we both ended up, I think, fifth and sixth in the bunch sprint anyway. So um, it was a shame for us, I guess, to miss out on having that sprint chance at the finish. But I think, yeah, this year was probably the close I felt to being the best on that finishing straight. Um, but the year I won, and I think it was just another level. I think the the power I did and the race as it, as it was planned out and how I rode it and how I was being smart and, and, and controlled and just in the moment, it was just, uh, it was like a flow, you know, the athletes, you know, you, you hear it all the time from those athletes that just say they're, they're, you know, in the flow and they're autonomous. I think that was how I was all race and it just came naturally and had a, had a victory that when I look back, it was only, it was easy in terms of the, the win. I think it was just that hard, the last finish that was the hardest putting out the what's I did, but the race itself was, it felt easy. Wow. So I think I just had good legs. That's sick. That is so cool. Um, I've got a really cool little segment here that I've drummed up. One of my uh, a young junior that I've coached since he was nine years old, he's now 11. Yeah. Um, nice. His name's Campbell. So I've created this segment called Campbell's Corner. Yeah. And, um, he, he's going to ask a question of every guest that comes on. And cool. so um, he's up in Bunbury at the moment doing a little training camp. Um, yeah staying at his nan's place so he's riding <laughs> he's just rides so much it's so fun <laughs> um i'll play this for you to relate yeah. to the, the year that you won the title in 2019 hopefully you should play through so i'll just play for you. hey guys just jumping in quickly thanks again for listening and i really hope you're enjoying this episode with brenton uh, he's got some really good stories uh, that'll come in the back end of this pod. So uh, if you're enjoying it so far, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on the Apple and the Spotify player. It'll really make a big difference and help me grow this pod into an absolute monster. So uh, I'll leave you with that. Enjoy the rest of the pod. When you won the national crit title, what was your plan going into the race? And did you need to change it mid-race? Yeah, good question. Very good question, Campbell. I think, um, yeah, the plan the plan during the race was to, I guess, always save save energy in the tank for that final sprint. I think um, that's that's priority. It always comes down, not let's say eight times out of ten, always comes down to that final sprint. Um, I think to save energy in that tank and not not do stupid things during the race to deplete that tank, I think was the main goal. Um, but then be attentive and watch out for those really big splits. I think a few splits did happen, but I was very patient and relaxed the whole race. As I said before, that I didn't feel it was hard because I was so relaxed and so confident that my ability at the finish was going to pull through. And I think obviously it was a bit of trust there and, and uh, a gamble to wait and hope for that finish to come, which it did. And I was fortunate for that. Um, and it did. And I think by being smart and careful and relaxed which was my plan going into it i didn't need to change my plan in the race it was it was going as planned and everything happened just uh to textbook um and the finish came and i was in the right position and tristan ward hit out early and that was a bloody good attack and sprint um and i just had the legs to and the moment to go well if no one goes with him right now you're not going to win and i did and followed him and and had a 
kind of uh, perfectly timed sprint. So I think that was my plan. And yeah, I think to answer your question, Campbell, I had a plan and it didn't change during the race. It was, it went to plan. Mm, nice. That's cool. That's very good. Oh, Campbell would be stoked for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm watching the last, uh, the last two or last two or three K of that race uh, just before it's still available on Facebook. You can just Google um, Australian, uh, Criterion title 2019 and you can see the live stream is quite good but in the last few laps you can just see what you're up against that year and I guess every year really you had a, like a, a train of bridge lane like seven guys and yeah. like you were sitting there at the end I think I even saw Theo Yates one of ours uh, our own, uh, on the train as well and everyone's just fighting to be on the back of that that train you know and I think even it looked like into the last few or well, the second last and the last corner, they still had like four or five guys, you know? Um, yeah. And it makes it so much more difficult, I imagine, as someone riding on your own to combat a big team like that, even if they don't have, like even if you're the fastest guy there. Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. I think that's what the last seven or last six years maybe have been like for me. I think the last time I had a lead out train there was probably around that 2015, 2016 time with Draypack. Mm. Um, and then every year after that, since then, it's been individual, you know, I've been riding for French, French pro team and uh, a new British team. And I've been individual there and individual here the last two years with Canyon. So I think um, it's been very hard to, to do that. But, but even then, I think I, I can't remember the last time I was outside, maybe the top, the top 10, maybe a couple of years ago, actually, I was just yeah. outside. But otherwise, every year, the past maybe eight years, I've been inside the top 10 and mm. on the podium for most of them. So I think, um, yeah, it's just that drive and hunger and the, the experience, I guess, to know how that race pans out and, and know how to ride it. Um, I think you can't get caught too far back because you're in the washing machine and you're going to get your legs zapped after a few laps. So you kind of need to be to the front, but uh, just surf the wheels as much as possible and save legs. It's a hard course. Mm, okay that's wicked um so we have in the last like two years here in perth we've had um we had like a little bit of a lull in our racing scene and then in the last two or three years it's really um picked up quite a bit in particular our criterion series so we have this one sort of it's just like a uh you know like an industrial circuit kind of like um i race one over melbourne for like carnegie's caulfield yeah um, yeah you, you'd know the one yeah, and um, yeah, and uh, I guess like we've been hitting the same circuit for quite a long time now. It's just your standard square circuit, but it's pretty hotly contested. Um, I wondered, like, just in general, if you had any um, tips for like riding a good criterium um, if you know you have uh, a good sprint on you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think um, well, again, if knowing you have a good sprint on you, I think you know. I go back to the nationals and saying eight times out of 10, the criterium is going to be in a sprint and it kind of, it is, but I think the more we're seeing nowadays with opportunists and guys who are trying to break away that a lot of these Melbourne criteriums we're doing at the moment and in recent years, in the past year or two, there's a lot of breakaways that are winning. So I think it's, it's finding that balance between having the race smarts and being tactically aware to what's going on and who's up the road and, and where to position in the bunch and when to attack with the break and when to rest and when mm -hmm. to gamble on going or not. I think that's what you need to develop first and practice and learn from experience after race after race. And then if you've got the sprint there, then it's about then all just coming down to positioning and, and doing everything right in training up until the, the race, not just in itself, in training as well to make sure you're conditioned to get to the finish first and then have the legs to sprint. Um, and then in the, in the finish, it's uh, positioning 
is one-on-one gear really if you come around that last corner in the right place you're you're probably putting yourself in every chance to win if you're not then you're you're dreaming really regardless of your what so i think yeah the, to, to keep it simple i think the first point would be that tactical awareness to say uh, how's this race going to pan out who's in this race what's the conditions like how am i how am i'm feeling and then you make the gambles during the race tactically to say okay are those five guys up the road going to time trial their way to the finish? Probably. Okay, let's attack. If not, then gamble, wait there for them to come back. And maybe you've saved yourself some, some watts that you're going to unleash in the finish. So I think um, I love I love the unpredictability about the Criterion Racing. It's fast, it's furious. And like you said before as well, just throw the, the, uh, the road races, you've got more time to think and I guess things to happen. Whereas Criterion Racing, they happen uh, in a split second and you can, you, can, you can win or you can lose straight away like that. So um, yeah. I love that, that part of it. Um, but yeah, as a sprinter, I think you've got to back your sprint in a Criterion, I think. You, but you just have to be aware that you might not be able to get the opportunity if a break goes away. So mm. um, just balancing those two things. Yeah, it's good. It's a, um, it's a, I've just, as you were saying it then, it made me think of, other disciplines of cycling that are um you know rely on like quick thinking and also good tactical awareness you can sit at home and think about how a race should pan out all day but in the moment racing yeah. like criteriums track racing you know points races that sort of stuff um they require you know real quick thinking and quick like a, a judgment of the of the tactics and then you sure. think of all the riders that have done quite well in their career who are good at criteriums good on the track um it certainly translates sure okay so let's cross to the the um getting the contract with delco was it delco ktm the first year delco ktm delco marseille ktm or delco yeah yeah that's i mean that is such an awesome jump um when you i mean it must have been a pretty special moment when you got that contract well, it must have been awesome. Yeah, it was pretty pretty surreal. I think uh, I'm still looking at the photo memories every year they pop up. And I was there with uh, yeah, my wife, Lucy. We travelled from the UK to France and we went there specifically to sign the contract, but the Tour de France was on at the time as well. So we actually wow. went down to Marseille on the plane, hired a car, drove to the Tour de France stage in the Alps and saw um, our close friends, Matt Keenan, Dave McKenzie, Phil Liggett. Cool. We're in the box with Phil Liggett and Paul Sherwin when they were calling the finish of the race as well. And we were in, like actually inside their box um, and the VIP passes. And um, that was just an awesome experience to see everyone up there and, and kind of, you know, see them from, obviously we're so far away over, in, over overseas from Australia. So to see familiar faces, we were, we were so happy and, uh, to have those connections and help us get those passes to go and see that race just made it a special day for us. Um, and kind of, we stayed there the night in the Alps and uh, drove back to, to France in Marseille for two days. Um, the next days uh, where I signed the contract, met the team, met the manager. Um, were, you and then we did were, you speaking, um, were you speaking French when you're doing the contract or like, was, it just, was there an English speaker there or? A little, bit, no, a little bit. My manager, a Spanish manager at the time was, was uh, he spoke pretty good English um, and the French, the French and Fred, the manager spoke pretty good English too. So we're all conversing and, and, and speaking in English to one another. Um, and yeah, it wasn't broken English. It was, it was good enough. Um, obviously the contract was all in French. So I was kind of looking at Lucy shaking my head going, okay, like, uh, can you, can you read this or and then when the manager was just assuring me just like uh i've had a read of it like it's all pretty standard blah blah, blah. and i just signed it because well who, who wouldn't sign a french uh, yeah. pro contract that's you know what a, what what you dream of as a kid as well so um that was yeah, an incredible two years of my career um yeah. 
I'd be based based in France, live in France, learn French, speak French. I still speak a bit of it now as, as much as it, it hurts to not speak it anymore that much because you do lose a little bit. I do love speaking French and enjoy hearing when someone speaks French. Uh, but yeah, to kind of be disciplined to learn a bit over the summer, one of the years. And I flew there for a training camp in late 2017 in December. We went over there for two-week training camp. I uh, used up all my points to fly business class one way. So that was kind of my treat to say like, you know, put up with the cold weather in France, go and get there and enjoy a two week training camp in France and fly back home. And I raced nationals here and, and everything else like that. And then we, we, I flew back to France uh, just before some of the big races over there um, that we did and, uh, and established myself over there and got an apartment and bought a TV and a bed and all the things that we had to do and basically set myself up um by myself for the first our own two-bed apartment in france there in marseille and watched the french win the world cup that year and it was uh-huh. it was a crazy experience and uh some of the best years of our life um both 2018 and 19 wow what was um what was lucy doing while you were riding was she just um what, what was she doing a uh, bit of freelance, which picked up as the as the years went on. Uh, freelance in, in the cycling space and tennis. Um, she, 2019 and 2020, uh, 2019. So she had a lot of work working some of the women's classics, and she worked at Roland Garros and the tennis. Oh, cool. uh, but yeah, doing a, a fair bit of freelance stuff as a journalist. Um, but 2018 was pretty quiet. She was having a few hard times during the during that period when I was going to say China for a four week you know uh tour of um Qinghai Lake she was in France by herself for four weeks uh, in our apartment and we had one friend there and that was close to her and but but no really there wasn't it wasn't a very multicultural uh what was but not a very um westernized uh area you know everyone's in Girona or or Nice and Monaco and no one was really in Marseille so we had limited um I guess support there that was tough for her, but um, yeah, I guess when we were there both together and enjoying the, the life of the 30 degree sunshine every day for seven months of the year, it was, um, we, we miss it. We miss it right now. <laughs> that's so cool. I think that's pretty special that you were able to have Lucy over there with you as well. Cause you know, you hear a lot about people, uh, Aussies in particular going over for their first few years, um, you know, in European as a European pro, but a lot of them are doing it on their own, you know, even if they do move to, Girona, one of those hot spots. They're still on their own. Um, I know. That was it's a, a challenge. Yeah, it's incredibly hard. So yeah, it was a real good support over there, and kind of just broke up the the race and the time for both of us. Like we we did so much travel and and uh, and we you know just having a an evening, a nice relaxing evening on the beach, having a having a a glass of wine and a cheese board, like just some ten minutes drive down on the Cote d'Azur, like where the where the people travel from all parts of the world to go on holiday there. That, that was our backyard. So I think that was amazing. We had so many friends come over over those two years and family to come and see us and uh, and stay at our apartment and and we kind of were the were the hosts and the tourists. Uh, the I guess uh, for them to. Uh, the guides, sorry, tour, tour guides to show them around. And um, we enjoyed that. So mm. it was awesome. Oh, that's sweet. Um, so obviously on Sunday, mate, we got Paris Bay. I know. Pretty, uh, pretty exciting, um, especially because it's been like two years. Yeah, uh, I know. Last, last time I was on the start line, so that's <laughs> scary. <laughs> well, I remember watching the, the first, I'm pretty sure it was the first one that you rode 
Um, oh, for, for, for real sight, like real diehard cycling fans, watching the break at the start go for Roubaix is pretty exciting. And I remember you, it would have been the first year, surely, was you were so close to making that early break. It was like the I second know. move or second last move that went. Not yeah, to run exactly. it. I know, I know. Thanks. I was only looking at photos yesterday about it because all the memories are starting to come up. And I got a few photos out there um, and on my phone yesterday to have a look. And I was going to share a couple over this weekend uh, as a bit of a flashback. And I got one out and had some screenshots from people on on the TV live stream that they had a screenshot of me with the, yeah. the name on the you know on the on the breakaway breakaway group uh, rider names. And I, my name was on there, and you could see me just behind one of the riders, and then. One of the shots I was on the front and you saw the gap. We had like a 15 second gap at that time, which I think we got out to at least 45 seconds, but we were there and I think we spent about 10, 10 or 15 K out the front, maybe no more than that. And then maybe 10 K and then quick step chase us down. And I was kind of looking back going, Oh my God, I'm awaiting my first rebound in the break. And that's what my goal was for the team. And I mean, and then it came back and I was kind of like, like I wasn't shattered, but I was just kind of a bit disappointed um and then from there uh i actually had a pretty good race for the first few sectors and missed a few crashes and i think there was after the first sector a group of 30 out in front and i was in it and looking oh. back going i'm pitching myself um and i was like that for the next 20k and then it came all back together and obviously all the big hitters that missed it came to the front and i was pushed back to the back as a pro pony rider and a guy who was inexperienced and yeah. i guess still pinching himself to be there and then there was a battle of nutrition and I probably didn't eat or drink enough that day because I was hitting every sector just with my eyes open and my, you know, just looking at the riders and the fans and, and just going as hard as I could that maybe I forgot to eat and, and drink. And that let me down about the 210 K mark. I ended up going in the sag and the, in the team bus with a few other riders off the back were too far back anyway. Yeah. I did 210 K of it. Yeah. So that was, um, as far as I got. Um, and then the next year in 2019, I'm jumping ahead here, but 2019 was, um, probably a better year in terms of how I raced it and how smart I approached it. But then the fourth or fifth sector, I ripped my front derailleur off and waited for my team car, which was number 22 in line. And that was, uh, that was my race done. I think I did another, another 50 K swearing and cursing to myself and racing past like, drop groups like I went not past every drop group but there was like a few drop groups that I just went straight past because I was just that high on adrenaline and and really peed off that I had that happen because I was had good legs and ended up in the sag wagon and spent I think 80k in the sag wagon cruising behind the last rider and that was probably the most depressing moment of my career um but that was hard that was very very hard that's um yeah there's no uh there's no um Swan here on the middle of a sector holding up a derailleur, eh? That's <laughs> maybe everyone's got a derailleur in their pocket or something. <laughs> there's one, there's one photo I will share this weekend that was from that a fan took it. And every year, every year, the same guy on Instagram messages me and says, uh, in the reminder of the of your message inbox, he's like, Oh, I remember this, and he's uh speaks a bit of French to me. And um, every year, same date without fail, he messages me the same photo. And he's the guy that took it of me, me looking for the team car speaking on the radio with a front derailleur that's hanging off the chain. So, that's, oh, cool. dear. That is, um, <laughs> um, that's so cool. Uh, I mean, Paris Roubaix is like, I mean, obviously, there's massive races all throughout the year, grand tours, but yeah. you know, Tour of Flanders, world champs. Yeah. But Paru Bay, I think, like I was telling my girlfriend last night, yeah. 
if I could show any race to a, just a random punter in the middle of the street who doesn't even follow cycling, or maybe they watch uh, the Tour de France, you know, mm-hmm. Paris-Roubaix is the one race you show if you wanted to get someone maybe excited about cycling because it's mm-hmm. it is hectic. It's, I know. I feel like see the the trailers. You know the trailers they do every year with the music, yeah. the same music they have, oh, and the snippets, everything. Yeah. I just it gets me excited, and that's what I kind of was. We're doing ergos too as a young boy coming through before I was even in the NRS. You know, just doing ergos and staying up late to watch uh, watch some of the race, and then you turn on the morning and watch the replay of Tom Bonin and yeah. all these guys just absolutely smashing it. Um, that was what I was watching and kind of inspired to as a young kid. So yeah, kind of really proud to have done that and been there. Um, kind of, yeah, just, yeah, obviously I only regret is to not have that one race that kind of took me all the way there. I would kind of, um, yeah, would like to know how well I would have gone that year. I had the derailleur problem because I had good legs that year, but, um, yeah, just to be there was awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, when you were doing, obviously like before the race and you know, the weeks leading up to the race, when you're doing a race like Roubaix, did you guys go and like do your recons of the course? And when you guys were doing that, what were your thoughts like the first time you rode over those some of those sections? Yeah, first time there doing the recon, it was kind of like again just a pinch yourself moment. Like, I'm am I here? Am I like I'm I'm actually here with the with the French team racing. We're testing material. We're testing tire pressures. Like. This is amazing. Um, actually, had a, a, a email exchange and conversation with Stuart O'Grady actually in the weeks leading up to the, my first Roubaix. He, uh, I know, I've known Stewie for quite a while, and so is my family from, from when he raced the Bay Crits and the Sun Tour. And my mum Karen was organising all of those races, so know Stewie um, well. And it was I was very appreciative of Stewie's time to send me a couple of um, handy pointers and tips in, in in email conversations we had and. That was a an awesome opportunity in for him to share that with me and, and kind of have that in the back of my mind leading to these races um in the weeks leading up and days leading up kind of gave me some confidence and was able to go with the team and say this is what I want here and this is what I want for tire pressures. I can't remember what I was running actually. Um I should more know than, that, but yeah. more than 80. Uh, probably be similar. They were going off the bar, like the bar, you know, oh, like three or four bar or whatever. So I can't, I can't remember because it's confusing me. Obviously, I run with PSI. Yeah. Obviously, they're French and everyone else was there that were saying, oh, yeah, 3.2 bar or 4 bar, whatever, 3.8 in the front and 3.5 yeah, <laughs> in the front and 3.8 in the rear or something like that. Anyway, yeah. so... And the race is 150 miles, so... Exactly. Um, and it was crazy because um, a lot of people don't know and um, you'll probably see this this Sunday night, but just like watch how long it takes for them to get to the actual first sector. Like that's what shocked me. I think one of the things as well, you actually race 100, 100K or 110K before you get to the first sector. And I think for me, like when I went in that first year and got into the breakaway and I think I did 410 watts for the first 10 minutes or something in that in that attack. And that was at the start, that was 20K into a 260K race. I'm already doing 410 watts for, for 10 minutes. Okay, that's not my PV, but... For the average Joe, that's that's a PB. And I think that was hard start for me. So I think after that to then recover, I think that's why at that 200 k mark, I was absolutely cooked, you know? So I think that was my lesson learned. And obviously I tried to get in the breakaway. That's what I had to do and mm. whatever, but obviously I just didn't feel, but that was what I had to do to get in, to try and get in the break. And I think I got back in the bunch. I was recovering for probably the next 10K because Quickstep had it absolutely lined <laughs> out. And then my teammate Gattis um, made the break after I went. Um, yeah. And I saw my break go and I was like, I was just in it. Anyway, so they had it lined out. Then they calmed down a bit. And it was like another 60K before we even hit the cobbles. And and even that was just a sprint lined out, eight yeah. men 
across the road to get into the first sector. So it was a hectic, hectic race. But we, like I said, we're racing on the road, up and down, undulating as well. It's not flat um, for quite a while. Wow. So that's what surprises me, yeah. Yeah. Are people, I don't think, yeah, I think a lot of people realise it's actually, there is a lot of... Um, and the, yeah, and the sectors, the sectors themselves actually, they're, um, like, I always thought, oh, yeah, flat, like, really flat. But there's probably maybe five or six sectors that are maybe, like, three or four percent. Like two, two or three or four percent. Like there's, they're quite hard. You yeah. go up them, and it's, it's it's a proper climb. And there's some that are on the downhill, some that are that are just descending as well, and it's it's challenging. So, jeez, yeah, um, yeah, that's <laughs> that's great insight though. I didn't I didn't know some of the sectors are uphill. That is very yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, when um, well, did you do any like? you know like set up for the bike like you, know, you hear i've seen lots of stuff with people you know you're double taping the bar tape or they're running um you know yeah. extra wider tires or anything like that but is there anything you saw other riders do that you just haven't seen before like was there anything really strange um yeah they're like taping their like you seem you still seem to this day but they tape their fingers they put a bit of tape around all their fingers and um and sometimes wrists they took tape on their wrists and tape around all their fingers i didn't put tape on my fingers either i thought that was like I mean, do it, but for either grip or blisters or whatever they did it for. But yeah, some people tape tape all around their fingers. Um, some a few or some all their fingers. They've got ten fingers. Um, that are that are that are taped. Some ran like gel pads on the top of their bars. Uh, I think I had double bar tape. So most of our team had double bar tape and twenty eight or twenty eight tires or thirty tires, whatever we had twenty eights, I think. But um, yeah, some guys ran. I think one guy on my team ran a thirty or thirty two tire, and it was like really but uh i think yeah, we were mostly 28s or 30s um and just bar tape really just a bit more bar tape i think was all we did um yeah right yeah. do you notice a difference with the bar tape does it actually make a difference probably a little bit but i swear like i know i still ride a bit of motorbikes recreationally at the moment as well and you get a bit of arm pump if you haven't ridden a motorbike before and then you probably hear motocrosses and whatever with a bit of arm pump sometimes from racing and from I think from doing the recon, I think I had arm pump for like three days after the recon, and I was like, "How is this? How is the race going to be if after three days of recon, I've got arm pump for like, a, you know, you just you moved your wrist and yeah, you, you literally your arm was sore, you know, like you've sprained yeah. your wrist. So that was just the shock and the vibration of the cobbles. So I just I won't ever forget that how how aggressive it was, but um, yeah, yeah it does go away. <laughs> wow. And when you get in the um... I mean, I didn't know you made 210Ks into the, the first year that you did it. That's um, that's pretty good for the first room, eh? um, yeah. considering the first part of your race. But what happens at the end? Like, if you have to get in the SAG, like, what is the SAG? Is it just like a, a bus? Yeah, so, so I went in the SAG in the second year, but the, the first year after 210K, there was a... There was like two. There was two teammates, maybe even three, behind me at that stage. So they were actually even further behind me, and I was like already maybe eight or nine minutes behind the leaders at maybe sixty k to go, uh, in a group of maybe six guys or whatever. A few from other teams, Cofidus and whatever. There was other other guys there, and some of them started to go in their team cars, and I was like, I'm left with two guys here. Like oh. this guy's gonna pull out. This guy's gonna pull out in the next k probably as well. Um, and my team car's just up there getting ready to hand out a bottle. So kind of as much as I regret stopping now, I think like it was probably, yeah, I guess the decision that I made and obviously my teammate behind me pulled in and we kind of jumped in the team van and went straight to our bus direct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was the first year. And the second year I did the, I did the Arenberg forest. 
Oh. And then um, did, I think, one more sector. And then that's when I got in the bus. And it was like a 24-seater. And Phil Bauhaus was on there. Bob <laughs> Rally was on there. Oh. Um, Van Rensburg, Yux Van Rensburg was on there. I'm just remembering I'm, all these names now I'm seeing in my head. And it was like, I was just looking around the bus going, there's such and such, there's such and such. Yeah. Everyone's just on the bus, like having a bit of a laugh. And then some people are a bit quiet because obviously you're all just stuck in a bus following the last rider, like boring as hell. Um, and then we all got out of the bus at the, all got out of the bus at the Velodrome the other end and went to our team buses, had a shower and a bit of pizza and went home, flew home. Wow. That's, uh, that's cool because yeah. you never hear about what actually that's like. Like if there's like one rider ahead of the bus and he just yeah. won't give in, is anyone... Like, yeah. you just, do you stick your head out the window and go, mate, come on, there's 20 of us. I think sometimes, I think every sector, all the guys are like, or one person would stop and then I think the whole bus would be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> gone. I love that. I think, yeah, the whole bus was like waiting and then we're all looking around to see how many spare seats there were and we're looking at another group of four riders and then they're like, I think one guy might have yelled out like, come on. And then the next section he gets off and everyone's cheering. And oh, that was a bit of a laugh. So. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I love that, yeah. mate. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. Well, um, that's so cool. That's so cool. I could talk for 10 hours about that. Um, of all the races that you did in the European scene um, when you were with Delco, or in fact, any race um, outside of the, the, the nocturnes, um, what was one that you enjoyed the most? Oh. There's so many, there's so many, like, you know, I had a good time at the, you know, a small race, but you know, it was a one in the Africa in, uh, Mr. Bongo in, um, in Mr. Yeah, Mr. Bongo there. Is that, is that in, in Africa? Africa? In Africa. Yeah. In Africa, Mr. Bongo is a Gripple, Gripple went there the year after I went there, I think as well. And they, he's done it with IKEA when he was riding for IKEA. Yeah, he, didn't he, um, he won quite a few stages or he won a couple, I think there. Yeah. Yeah. So good he, Good crowds, yeah. So that was like just kind of those countries, like the experiences you get from going to there and, and yeah. racing your bike is incredible. So I think if, yeah, if someone said like, what was your best experiences? Obviously, I can't look past like your Roubaix and that kind of that level. But um, aside from those, I kind of, it's, it's probably these countries that are a bit out there that you go, I would never have thought to have gone there and I raced my bike there. I think that's what I really look back on and think that was cool. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I, I see pictures of those. Um, those were the pictures that I love looking at on the internet because I'll zoom in and, you know, there's no barriers or like if there is a pretty, you know, the pretty village and like you just see the kids are out there and they've got random old bikes and it, it looks so raw. And to be racing a bike there in those African places, like, I mean, um, what are, one of the African nations just got the world, Rwanda. Rwanda, yeah. Yeah, that will be. That'll be something. Beautiful part of bike riding, isn't it? That you can I had a Rwandan teammate actually that that year in 2018. He was the first African or first, I think first African to ride Roubaix. Huh. Joseph Aruya, yeah, Joseph Aruya. He was my teammate and spent a lot of time with Joseph that year because he was, I was one of the only guys in the team that could speak good English and he could speak good English as well. For he could speak many languages, obviously he's African and whatever else he could speak. And um, in in the Rwanda, they've got their own language too, I think. But he spoke English pretty well and. I was kind of always like a room. I was a roommate with him a fair few races that year and got to know him quite well. And he was a nice guy. And uh, yeah, he raced Roubaix with me that year and he was the first African to do it. And there was a lot of publicity around that. So he, um, yeah, it'd be good to, good to see him um, race again. But I think he stopped now. But um, yeah, he was with the Ronda national team for a few years there. Wow. Wow, that's cool. What a mix of cultures too. I was in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
um, sweet. Well, uh, I guess just the last thing that I want to talk about is um, Ride Nation. So now I guess Oz Cycling's uh, sort of taken over a lot of the stuff for cycling in Australia now. Um, Ride Nation hasn't quite reached WA yet. I know it's in the works. It's They've got the ball rolling. But um, what is your role at Ride Nation now? Yeah, so at Ride Nation, um, for those of you who don't know, it's a participation program uh, for Oz Cycling. So it's, I guess it's a partner and a, a joint uh, establishment from Oz Cycling as a, as a participation program through, through from your grassroots all the way to your adults, you know, for everyone just to get them riding and into the sport. Um, and obviously targeting that junior age group as a potential pathway for the future. So I love working in that space as well. But um, yeah, I work in schools, I work in holiday clinics just had a pretty successful um three-day holiday mountain bike clinics um around this area here in gippsland where i'm from in, in victoria uh, which was quite successful i teach uh, or help help teach 46 kids over the last three days so kind of to see them come through the program and teach them mountain bike skills and see the smiles on their faces um you know with the covid stuff that they've had hit to them uh, and, work and do homeschooling to see them just out on their bikes and enjoying themselves and teaching them fun skills and seeing those smiles was so rewarding. Um, and that's why I love doing it. But my role, I guess, is um, kind of more your, your coaching coordinator here of your Gippsland Ride Nation. So I think there's three or four delivery centers across Australia wide at the moment. Uh, there's one in Wollongong, one in Adelaide, one in uh, Gippsland here um, and one somewhere else as well. Um, and my mum, Karen Jones, is the coordinator of Ride Nation Gippsland. Um, and she's, uh, I guess, the liaison between Oz Cycling and, and that uh, for the program to set it up, um, using her experience and, and knowledge to set the program up. And obviously, she's um, encouraged me to get involved as, as the coach to kind of set the coaching side up because obviously you need coaches to run the programs. Mm. Um, and I had a bit of a background in coaching and a passion for working in schools and young kid, with young kids as well to help them develop. And kind of that's how I've naturally fallen into that position. And I think I've done six or seven school programs um, across maybe 500 or 600 kids in the past three wow. terms um, this year. Um, and yeah, it's just been teaching kids how to ride bikes, the fundamental skills, um, and that's been the, the main focus. And then there's been other programs that have stemmed off that where I've got work from just doing one-on-ones with a, with a um, you know, and a middle-aged lady who just wants to learn how to ride her mountain bike on a rail trail, you know? So it's a, it's a vast, vast majority of, uh, of programs that are on offer. I think I've done a few She Rides programs as well where oh, I've had cool. four or five ladies come to learn about bikes and skills and how to ride them and, and whatever. So I think that's been... Um, quite enjoyable for me to to get in that space and obviously it's a school and youth focus but it's participation as a whole so anyone of any ability and any discipline yeah that's so good um getting yeah. into schools is like it's just such a big draw card and it's quite and i'm so happy to see that it's uh, a big focus is, is heading towards schools and now that's happening in wa as we speak there's lots of stuff in the works which is cool because um yeah, that's where it all starts, right? You know, no matter what type of riding it is, um, you just get more kids on bicycles, and um, sure. yeah, it just makes it makes it all happen. Um, okay, Brenton. Well, the last um, phone call on my phone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, what else I got here to plug? Um, oh, are you gonna um, are you gonna be racing nationals this year? Or I hope to. Yeah, I hope so. I hope to be for sure. If, if if they're on and when they're on, hopefully I uh, I'll uh, I'll be there definitely. So excellent. 
try and go back to the, the criterium and see how we go. Yeah, you might have you'll have some teammates this time. Maybe, yeah. Because you yeah, I mean I can see the t-shirt and I'll yeah, I've followed you, but uh <laughs> who are you riding with now? Yeah, team team inform um team X Mape. So yeah, good uh, haven't haven't done a race with them yet, but uh yeah, got the got the got the bike and some gear to to give them some social media and publicity, I guess, at the moment, which is good for the team. But um yeah, looking forward to helping out some of those younger riders and at least getting some racing back here in Australia. Now I'm kind of transitioning back into this phase. Yeah, sweet man. Well, that's awesome. Um, I really hope uh, everyone here in WA gets a good grasp of this potty and uh, maybe got a few more fans and a few more people following you now um, into the into the nationals. And um, uh, yeah, man, I really really thank you for your time, mate. Um, we probably could have talked for like four hours, but I'm like, geez, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah. uh, we have to catch up after the nationals. Maybe we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, but um, thank you very much, mate. And uh, I guess we'll catch up very soon and um, keep in touch, eh? No problem. Thanks very much for having me. Episode two, all wrapped up. Big thanks to Brenton for coming on the pod and sharing those awesome stories with us. I hope everyone found the insight into the racing in Europe, Australia, the UK, really insightful. Um, Look out for him at the 2022 National Criterium Championships. This time he's going to be in white behind the Inform Make train. So he's going to be up there unleashing some serious power like me on the morning bunch ride. So I hope you enjoyed the pod. If you loved it, please subscribe. If you liked it, share it along with your mates. And if you think there's something I can improve on, just send me a message and tell me because I'm always looking for feedback. Thanks, guys. I'll see you next Monday for another episode of The Press Room. See you later.